Morning, Greg. How are you today? Thanks for being on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm really excited about being here. Excellent. Me too. I'm glad that you, uh, that you had the time and the opportunity to come on. We really appreciate it. So you're the executive oh, well, chef of, of Gray's Tide House in beautiful Verona, Wisconsin. Not far absolutely. from not far from Milwaukee, it looks like on the map. Or is it far? I don't know. I can't tell by Um We're we're about forty five minutes to an hour from from Milwaukee, but we're only fifteen minutes outside of the capital of beautiful Wisconsin, Madison, so Gotcha. Tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your journey to becoming a chef, how long you've been an executive chef, and, and give us a little background on, on yourself. Absolutely. Um, well, I've been in the industry for just about half my life. I'm 32, and I've been in the industry for about 15, 16 years now. And it's been, it's been an interesting ride. I, <laughs> I originally started out working like a lot of us do in my own small town, working in a country club there, and uh, went off to college and thought that I wanted to be, actually thought I wanted to have nothing to do with this industry. <laughs> and every time I tried to get away from it, life just kind of kept pulling me back in. I needed work. Well, I was good enough at what I did when I was younger, so I found a, found a job working in a kitchen that at a local bar by the college I went to oh, okay. and then came home from college, found myself back in the kitchen. And eventually I just realized that one day I was extremely happy with going to work every day. Oh, and I cool. said, you know what, maybe I should just stop fighting it. And found a job at a, at a steakhouse here in Madison. And it's called Johnny Delmonico's. It's one of the larger steakhouses in Madison. And, uh, the chef I had there at the time was a very, very talented man who saw the excitement that I had in, in myself for all the food that we did there. Mm -hmm. And he started teaching me everything he knows. And I've actually built a career off of doing just that. I have not gone to school. I've been in the industry for, like I said, about 16 years and still haven't managed to make it to school yet, even though I think that's a very important thing. Uh -huh. But... I've spent my, my entire career following and learning from chefs that I thought were extremely talented. After, after working at the Steakhouse for a while, I moved on to another restaurant here in Madison called Fresco. It's a beautiful rooftop restaurant and got to learn quite a bit from the executive chef that was there. Learned so much that I actually got an invitation to move back to Chicago where my family is originally from. Oh, okay. And... Uh, be, be part of a crew in a restaurant in Chicago called The Pump Room. Unfortunately, The Pump Room is no longer with us, but it's one of the more old-school restaurants in the city of Chicago. I mean, in its heyday, it was home, home to big celebrities like Frank Sinatra. It was his favorite restaurant, and it was just a beautiful piece of history and a beautiful kitchen that I learned more than I could ever give back. So um, when you say old school restaurant, what's the mm -hmm. definition of an old school restaurant within the restaurant industry? Is that the clientele so, that came in? Or? So an old school restaurant to me is a restaurant that is more than well established. It's 20 plus years of being in business. This is a place that stood the test of time for quite a while. Like I said, originally the pump room would be the place you would have to come to when you came to Chicago as celebrities. Gotcha. I mean, it was Frank Sinatra's favorite restaurant, so much so that he was there every time he was in Chicago. Oh, and when okay. he came to Chicago, he actually did most of his business there. So they had a special table put in just for him, had curtains, telephone, the whole thing, because <laughs> he did so much business there. How awesome is that? Yeah, it was it was a really awesome piece of history to be able to to be able to be there and work in that environment. And uh, you walk around the halls of this restaurant, which is attached to a hotel, and uh, you see nothing but history as far as the eye can see. There is the hotel still there. Um, the host the hotel is still there. Unfortunately, the restaurant has closed. The ambassador's hotel is still is still alive and going in Chicago and thriving pretty well. But unfortunately, the restaurant, 
the restaurant did not survive. Did not survive. Did you ever have the opportunity to meet Sinatra? Oh, um, no, 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 no. No, no. Frank Sinatra is, is, is a little before my time. That's, okay. I mean, he just, I don't know when he died, 10 years ago maybe or so. Maybe it was longer than that. So, yeah, but unfortunately, I never had the, yeah. the opportunity to meet him. Bit before my time, like I said. Yeah. But it was it was a great place to work, and I came back from Chicago with fire in my eyes, basically, and started working at more places around Madison and trying to really, really hone in on more of what was my idea of food. Uh-huh. and what I personally liked because, like I said, I would spent so much time following great chefs around and learning from them that I felt like it was my time to kind of define myself. But that's a, lot, that's a lot easier said than done in this industry. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Were you also learning um, all aspects of restaurant operation in front of house? Absolutely. Okay, okay. Because I don't want well, people to... Well, I'm always... I'm sorry. I don't want people to no, think okay. that when you learn from an experienced chef that he's just teaching you technique and really good recipes because it's more involved than that. And you guys have got to, to learn everything. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. So, I, I mean, from these from these great chefs, I've learned I've learned just about every aspect of the restaurant. I mean, it's easy it's easier to learn the things in the kitchen because that's where I spend majority of my time. Right. But Learning, learning the front of the house is actually one of the bigger challenges for, for guys like me who spent most of their life in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. We just, after a while, you just develop an attitude that's not, that's not conducive to being out in the front of the house all of the time <laughs> and learning all of the intricacies of the front of the house is interesting. I mean, to be completely honest, not all cooks are, are meant to deal with the with the customer base, to be yeah. completely honest, we just we what we do is a very intense thing, and it it ends up putting things in you that are just aren't good for your customer base, which is fine. Great great chefs are not always the most polite people and the, right. the easiest to talk to sometimes, but through these great chefs, I've learned so much about how to talk to customers. What what a quality front of the house is supposed to look like, the jobs of your front of the house and the the many many varying positions there because for every position you've got in the kitchen, there's two of those out in the front of the house as well. Right, right. And it it needs to run like a machine just as much as a successful successful kitchen. So it's it's really interesting for me to be able to watch them do what they do because it, it's humbling to a chef to acknowledge that that's just not something you could do. And while I have no problem going out and talking to my customers at the restaurant I run now, it took quite a while to get there. Yeah. You're not, not naturally an extrovert, per se? Um, I've, I've, I've always been a friendly person. I've always been a happy person. But the being in the kitchen was easiest for me because I'm not always a chatty person. I've gotcha. not always been somebody who can go up to a random person and have a conversation or who can brag about themselves, which is a very difficult thing for me at the restaurant. Yeah. Well, you almost have to let the food, uh, the, <clears throat> excuse me, the food speak for you almost. I Absolutely. Mean, I mean, y'all can take a compliment, I'm sure, no problem, but being braggadocious it doesn't come easy for a lot of people, I don't think. No, I wouldn't imagine it would. But uh, the, one of the downsides to our industry is that television has made, made it seem more like the rock star lifestyle. And uh, for those of us in it, we always get a nice chuckle out of watching some of those shows because <laughs> that's not our life. It, no. it's, uh, unfortunately, as much as we want every day to be as interesting mm-hmm. as – Hell's Kitchen. The, the chef's not yelling and throwing things at you every day, and we spend way more of our time doing tedious things than TV shows would allow us to look like. Yeah, I I can I can see that. There's a lot of there's a lot of um, the, the thing that comes to my mind is 
um, military kind of you have things that need to get done in a time frame to do them and it's kind of militaristic you all come in and you you know what you're supposed to do and you kind of you just march through and get done what has to get done and you all Absolutely. have a good time and you're all friendly with each other and you all work great together but there is a, a method to the madness and I don't think that in fact that's not shown on Hell's Kitchen I mean Ramsey will say you know prep the kitchen but you never you see a little bit of it here and there but it's really right I think it's probably sometimes more monotonous than anybody wants to admit or realize I think oh extremely yeah. and I actually try really really hard to steer the kitchen that I run away from more of the military aspect of it because you're 100% right a kitchen can come in and fill a very militaristic cold situation I actually prefer to run a kitchen more like a family mm -hmm. and uh, I I love my entire crew these guys yeah. I spend more time with I spend more time with my crew than I do with my family yeah. so I try and build good relationships with them because you work harder when you work harder for family you go a little extra for family and mm -hmm. unfortunately in our industry I do have to ask a lot of my guys I I really do have to set extremely hard to meet expectations for us to grow as a crew and grow as a restaurant. I have to expect that because our capacity for the restaurant can reach over 500 people. Wow. That I, I have, I have to make sure that my crew is constantly ready and constantly able to handle the randomness that could happen with restaurants that size. I mean, you'll have, you'll have nights when there's 25, 30 people, but then we'll also have nights where 60 people decide to walk in. Right. And there's no reservations. There's nothing. They just showed up at the, in the parking lot and called and asked for a reservation with them and 50 of the, 59 of their closest friends. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good problem to have, but it is a problem to have. Oh. Right. But that, that's a problem that most restaurants run into, especially restaurants of a certain size. Yeah. And... Uh, because of that, I I do ask a lot of my guys, but I treat them like family. When we when we're done, there's laughing and joking. I I'm constantly worried about personal lives of my crew because that affects that affects work just as much as anything else does. Yeah. So I, I see myself more as a father figure in my kitchen, and there are many different types of ways of running a kitchen. This is just the one that I've always found work best for me. And that's what you need to do. That's what the, the business is all, all about. And I think when we were chatting back and forth via email and, and on Facebook, one of the things that um, got me interested in, in contacting you to be on the show was the bantering that you had with your crew on Facebook talking about different stuff. Yeah. I just found it humorous, and I thought, this guy's got a great relationship with his team, and I bet he's just a really – Interesting, genuinely good guy. I'm gonna get him on the, ask him to be on the show. So that's. I'm oh well, you thank you. I, uh, I really do try and have that relationship. So thank yeah, you. It, it shows. It, at least it shows if you're following you or looking at, at your feed on Facebook. Um, it shows, and I think that's a, that's a compliment to you and the way you treat you guys or your crew, guys and gals. I don't. Know if, I'm sure you have both out there. So, oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's. I can tell that it's a, a good group of folks that you got working for you, and they like you, and I can, you can just tell by the, the bantering back and forth. I that was kind of. I'm uh, I'm I'm very I'm very lucky that I have the crew that I have, and uh, one of the things that I took from a chef that I worked for a few years ago was to build a crew like you would build a toolkit. Everybody's got their place, but everybody in your toolkit can also do a little extra. I mean, I've got I've, my lead grill guy. This this guy is insane. He handles 100-plus people on the grill by himself and barely breaks a sweat. Holy smokes. I've got, I've got the youngest guy in my crew is a culinary student, and he's one of the more creative people I've ever met. I've got another young man that works for me who has barely had any restaurant experience, and I've, I've been teaching him everything from how to hold a knife to – how to properly build a prep list, and I've gone as far as to actually give this young man my own knives that I bought for myself 
because he earned it. He works. He he's my lead prep guy now, and he works harder than anybody in my kitchen to nice. keep us where we need to be. And I've just got a crew of very dedicated, very talented people, and I've actually never been proud of working with a group of people. So that's awesome. Now, um, I wanted to. There's so much I want to loop around with, and and what have you. Um, the Gray's Tide House, on the website, I read the, the little about on the website. So founded in 1856 by Joshua Gray, and it's a, it's a brewery, and you do all your own ales and sodas and, and beer and such. How long has Gray's Tide House been, has it always been a restaurant for all these years, or so, has it evolved? So no, it, it's... Gray's Tide House is one aspect of Gray's Brewing Company. Uh, Gray's oh. Brewing Company actually handles our beer production, and we make we make great great Irish style beers and great just great drinkable beers. Mm-hmm. Gray's Tide House, however, has been a restaurant for just a little over ten years. We uh, oh. just had our just had our ten year anniversary last year. Okay, and you've been there for how long? Uh, I've been the executive chef there now for about six months, and uh, it, it's it's been interesting because my journey before this, I was at a farm-to-table restaurant. Mm-hmm. I was the sous chef at a farm-to-table restaurant, and coming to a brew pub style of food was definitely a little bit of a transition for me. I bet. But it, it it's great when you can hop in and work with a bunch of people that really care about food and really want to elevator menu. So did you actually come to Grace as hired on as the executive chef? Yep. Oh, um, they, cool. it, was, it was a very humbling spot for me because they, it was the first time in my career that someone had actually sought me out. Oh, okay. So, okay. And it was, that was interesting and a humbling thing for me. Like I said, they had had my food and they were without, a, without an executive chef for the moment and really wanted to know a little bit more about me and about my style of food. And honestly, I just love having fun with my food. I Mm. I could work in multiple different facets because of the career that I've had and the vast amount of knowledge that I've acquired from everywhere everywhere else I've been. I, I really am just a guy who loves to play around in the kitchen and have fun with his food. So whether it be high-end, fine dining, or brew pub, they're all the same to me. I get to have just as much fun, and I care just as much about the food that I put out. So a farm-to-table restaurant and then Gray's Tide House, you're still choosing probably the freshest, night, most beautiful ingredients you could find, I would imagine. Absolutely. Yeah, so okay. when I came to... When I came to Gray's, I was actually thoroughly surprised at how much local they were already doing. Um, Supporting local business, supporting local farmers especially, is a big part of who I am as a chef and a big thing that I believe in. Mm -hmm. And Gray's had already been doing that. And it was interesting to me that they were doing that at a time where everybody wants to promote that and everybody wants to talk about it because that's what brings people in. Right. They've been doing it for 10 years and didn't bother to, to tell people because that's just what they did. Oh, okay. the, the owners there are very picky, very particular about the products that they like to bring in, and very, very particular about quality. And it was really good to, to find people who were just as picky as I was. <laughs> I bet. That's always a pleasure. It makes, I mean, when you're mm-hmm. all on the same page, that makes life so much easier, for sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, we've all had those jobs where we've butted heads with the people above us or the people on the same level as us and coming in the greatest and having picked up so much knowledge about farm-to-table aspects in a restaurant and being able to bring some of that to the table at greatest was great. I mean, no, we're not going to be a farm-to-table restaurant. That's just not who we are. That's not what we want to be. But... Supporting local businesses is a big part of what both of the owners of Gray's Brewing and Gray's Hyde House believe in, and we do that in all aspects of our restaurant, from purchasing local wine to starting a farm to 
joining our local Reap Madison Food Group, which is a cooperative of different farms that reach out to restaurants and allow us to buy produce through them, and that they also educate the community on the farm-to-table movement. So what is, I'm sorry, what, it was something Madison? Where was it again? Yep. It's called uh, Reap Madison Food Group. I still, get, I still didn't get the first word. Reap, R-E-A-P. Oh, Reap. Okay. Yep. Thank you. I'm just yep. going to... Um, Madison Food Group, okay, because I want to put it as a link on the show notes. Absolutely. Okay. They're, they're a fantastic group that, we, that we're now a part of, and through them, we're actually going to be increasing the amount of local produce that we purchase. Do they? Because there are a surprising amount of farms out there that don't have contact information or don't have a way of reaching out to the multitude of restaurants that are interested right. in their products. Well, that would be awesome. In, in the wintertime in Wisconsin, I'm sure that you guys, your local growers can only grow certain things. Yep, but through one of the, one of the cool things about, about Wisconsin and about our current push for local, local sourcing, um, there are a multitude of farmers that have grouped together to either one work on long long-term storage of oh. high-volume produce, gotcha. or other methods of storing through freezing freezing certain products because not everything not everything is bad once it's frozen, and pickling things and gotcha. converting them into different products that we can continue to use all year. Gotcha. I don't know if other people. I mean, I've born and bred in California. I consider Texas my home state. My wife and I spent some years there and we loved it. I've never lived in that part of the country and I don't know if other people have the same perception of, man, when wintertime comes, it seems like it's just difficult to get a hold of anything like fresh vegetables, fresh fruits, those kinds of things. But we all have, we all ship stuff in from everywhere. So Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's mostly about storage at that point. Um, there, we in Wisconsin, we love our farmers markets. We we have a year-round farmers market here. As much as much as it might seem crazy to think about um, farmers doing things inside, that's what we've started switching to. We we do a lot of hot house growing here, and a lot a lot of a lot of things can still be grown in the winter here. Gotcha. Like what? Um. So one of my favorite things to do is I go out and I buy microgreens for the restaurant. So our microgreens come from a local farmer who actually grows all of his microgreens inside. Oh, okay. Um, he's, got, he's got a really, really cool setup right in the heart of Madison, and he grows all, all of his micros right in the back of his, of his establishment. And it's an interesting setup because – these plants need certain amount of light, certain right. types of light, and he is more than well not well versed on the many different aspects of what it takes to grow his plants inside. And I've never had microgreens like I've had from him. Oh, interesting! Really flavorful stuff, huh? Oh yeah, packed full of nutrients, packed full of flavor, packed full of color. Oh, that's amazing! That's um, that's amazing. It's just I think that's cool. That's cool. I want to grab. Yep, a, and there are all sorts of things that do that do stand the the harsh Wisconsin winters as well. We we do everything from storing potatoes and root vegetables, and those are almost those are almost always available through mm-hmm. a large portion of our winter. Because yeah, okay, it's something that that the farmers grow in abundance towards the end of the growing season. Uh-huh. And so they have large quantities of these of these vegetables that are great all throughout the winter. Gotcha. That makes sense. Good potato soup. German potato soup. Right. <laughs> oh, I we are we are potato fans here in Wisconsin. Potatoes <laughs> and cheese. We love them. I have had that squeaky cheese. It's pretty good. <clears throat> oh, there's nothing like it. Nothing like a fresh cheese curd. You ever come to Wisconsin? You give me a call, and we will take you down to the farmer's market, 
and we will get your cheese so fresh it squeaks. It's amazing. <laughs> That's awesome. I used to work with a, a gal who grew up in Wisconsin, and <clears throat> she went out there for a trip or something and came back. <clears throat> excuse me, and came back with the cheese curds, and she's like, "Here, eat it. It'll squeak." I'm like, "What?" And sure enough, it was such delicious cheese. It was it was beyond good. It's like it was so good. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like I said, we love we love our cheese here in Wisconsin. <laughs> if you had to choose three herbs or spices for the next year, what would they be? And salt and pepper don't count since you're limited to the season. Mm. If I had to pick three herbs, well, my favorite, just because I love the savory side of life, would be sage. I'm a, I'm a big, huge fan of sage. Um, and I think cilantro. Cilantro is definitely one that I don't think I could find myself living without. And, man, chives. Chives, they, they just bring me back to being a kid. Yeah. Um, I grew up in southern Illinois for a larger portion of my life. And in southern Illinois, they have giant fields that go on for miles at a time full of nothing but chives. Oh, okay. And so summertime hits, and it's about noon, and you're driving through the country, windows down, and, like, the entire area just smells of delicious chives. And so every time, every time I'm in the restaurant, it makes me think of my grandmother because I lived with her when I was a child, and it just makes me think of being a kid every single time. I bet. Just the memories come flowing back, I bet. Oh, yeah. It's, it's one of the great aspects of food is that it touches multiple senses. Absolutely. You smell something, and it makes you think of this one time you went to this one place or you, or you drink something and it, it makes you feel warm inside and it reminds you of a good time. I, food, food just manages to touch so many different aspects of our lives that I think it's a little understated sometimes. Yeah, I think so too. Um, does hot chocolate do the same thing for you as a kid? It was what now? Hot chocolate, does it do the same thing? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's... <laughs> Even in southern Illinois, it's still the Midwest, and it's still nice and cold in winter. And uh, my grandmother would make would actually make fresh hot cocoa. She there was never much of the pre pre made store bought anything. My grandmother was always about baking it from scratch. So wow, I've worked with quite a few people who grew up in the same area as you, and that is the common theme. Growing up is the hot chocolate, and their parents making the hot chocolate for them on cold mornings and stuff. So it's oh, absolutely. When you're a kid, nothing gets you moving more than a than a good cup of hot chocolate. Good hot chocolate too, not the not the in the absolutely. Stuff. Yeah, not the powdered stuff. I mean, there. I'm sure there's companies out there making great powdered hot chocolate, but in my family, we made it from scratch every time. How would how would Grandma make it? Actually, how would she, she do it? So uh, Grandma would melt down her chocolate in a little bit of cream, and there was always a cinnamon stick. Oh, okay. That was she, – she actually couldn't make it if it didn't have the cinnamon stick. My grandmother was a stickler for her recipes. So cinnamon stick in the, in the cream, a couple of bars of chocolate, she'd let that melt and let it go for a little bit. Uh-huh. Next thing you know, the best, richest cup of hot chocolate – you've ever had in your entire life. Would she pour that with some warm milk or or was it all just Oh yeah, just it okay. was just all just all cream. It was all cream for her. Oh, I get And it. we grew up I grew up on a farm so it was everything everything on a farm is made a little hardier. Yeah. Oh gosh. Sounds wonderful. Oh yeah. So other than a sharp knife, what kitchen tool can you not live with and why? Oh, if I if I could not go without something other than my knife. No, uh, you, these you days, the, I can... You have oh, the knife. Go ahead. You, know, you have the knife, but other than that, because yep. that's like a standard, that's like a sheriff in his sidearm. Um, Absolutely. Other than a sharp knife, what t- kitchen tool can you not live with? Live without. Oh, man. Um, these days, honestly, my towel and my camera. Between and camera? my knife... Between my knife, my towel, and my camera, there's nothing I can't do in my kitchen, <laughs> believe it or not. I mean, every everywhere you go now, chefs go, 
in and out of hot situations on a regular basis, and you can talk to anybody in the kitchen other mitts for the birds. I'd rather have a dry towel any day. I mean, not only not only is that dry towel going to allow me to get in and out of my ovens quickly to grab whatever I need to get, it also allows me to keep my board secure when I need it, lets me keep my station clean, lets me keep my knife clean, and keeps my plates looking beautiful on the way out. It, it's I, I'm a big fan of the understated things in life mm-hmm. and the simple things. And that's definitely one of the more understated tools in your entire kitchen. I don't like sending out sloppy plates, but that's why my towel is there. And what's the camera for? And so the camera has actually been one of my newer newer found hobbies. So I've decided that I want to connect with my customer base a little bit more uh-huh. through photos. And if you've seen any of the photos that I put on Facebook or if people want to follow the Grace Tide House Instagram that we've started, and it's a great place to show off all the photos we do of our specials and of our food and of our environment. But I want to connect to my customer base a little bit more. And one of the best ways I've managed to do that in the last year and a half is really get into food photography. Anybody who has a conversation about food with me understands that I'm very passionate about what I do. And that comes out on its own. But in the last year and a half, I've also started noticing that if you can show people what that passion looks like in the end, Mm -hmm. then you can connect with them a little bit more, and they actually enjoy their experience a little bit more. So I started taking photos of my food, like I said, about a year and a half ago, and I started, like most of us did, snapping pictures while I'm standing on the line and then a good friend of mine who's a photographer here in Madison pulled me aside and was like, Greg, you, you can be doing way better than this. Your food is delicious. You could be taking photos that actually show that because the what I started out with wasn't what it should have been. And uh, I had about a 45-minute conversation with her where she picked everything apart. Oh, my God. Every aspect of my photos. But it was, it was in the best way. She wanted to show me the things that I did wrong and what I did good and what I could do different. And if you look through my own personal Instagram, you can see there's a point where you see the photos just instantly get better. Uh And it was all through the advice of my friend. And I noticed it in the restaurant because people would follow me or people would be interested in the photos that we'd be posting on our Facebook at the time. Uh And they'd come in and say, I, I, need, I need what was in the photo today. That's, there was a photo you guys put out a photo. I really want I really want that. They wouldn't ask what it was. They just said, I want that. Can you give us an example of something that you took a photo of and she critiqued it and then how you how you took it differently and made it more eye ple- pleasing to the eye? Oh yeah. Um one of one of the biggest dishes that I had was I Prime Rib in Wisconsin. I'm not sure about other places, but Prime Rib in Wisconsin is a is a great thing. We serve it every Saturday. Almost every restaurant in Wisconsin serves Prime Rib all all at the same day. Oh, okay. And I wanted to promote the Prime Rib that we had. And I took a photo, and lighting was bad. The plating was not good. It was. It looked like I had rushed it. It looked like, oh well. Service starts in 20 minutes. I gotta hurry up and make this plate and take a photo really quickly. Gotcha. And she she picked it apart completely. Well, Greg, your plate was dirty here. Oops, sorry, chef. The the you you should have taken the photo a little faster because now it looks like everything's set up for a heat lamp. And after that, I went back and found some of the best lighting I've ever worked with, and made sure that I was presenting things in a way that should look pleasable to everyone. And the very next photo in my account was probably one of the best photos I've taken to date. And it was of a spinach gnocchi that I made, and it was gorgeous. I mean, nice. depth, color, every aspect that I wanted someone to look at and acknowledge in that dish could be seen. And it was all through the advice of a great friend of mine. So did, do you um, do you actually... I mean, you probably you take your time 
plating the food, but you have like a, a space in the kitchen that's got like a really good light that you can use off, off the uh, line so, so not anymore. I'm actually venturing outside of the kitchen for my photos now oh, okay. because anybody who does food photography will tell you natural lighting is always your friend. And I've started venturing out outside of the, outside of the kitchen now but even my guys will laugh because it's it's chef's time. Like chef gets his time to go do to do photos, and they've they laughed at first when I first got there and started taking photos and started posting things about our specials and things like that. They're like, well, there's probably better time spent. You could be doing other things, and I right. said, it's okay, guys. Give it give it a little bit and watch. And now we now we're selling. 40 or 50 of the same item at a night because we're putting out photos that entice people to come to the restaurant. That is, that is the best, most efficient marketing plan I've heard yet. I think that is, that is, I mean, that doesn't cost anything but a little bit of time and you to buy the camera, I guess. Absolutely. I mean, in all honesty, people eat with their eyes, Mike. I mean, Absolutely. if you see something delicious, you want it. And if it's described in a way that sounds delicious, you want it even more. And then, like I said, I push my guys really hard so that when I take that photo and everything's in its perfect place, mm-hmm. when the customer comes, I expect it to be in that same perfect place when they get there. When it goes out, right. So when they, get, when they show up and they're like, I saw this photo, it looked really delicious, I really want to try this, and they get it, and it looks exactly like it did in the photo, they're instantly happier happy, than they happy. would have been had they just gotten a plate of food. Oh, I love it. I love it. Can you, um, can you tell me what kind of camera that you use? So, believe it or not, I actually still use my iPhone. Um, iPhone the iPhone has gotten a better, a better and better camera as they've come out. And, yeah, I've, I've used solely just my cell phone the entire oh, time. Kidding. That's and it's all the cell phone and the lighting is pretty much yep. your cell your phone secret. lighting and just learning how to use the tools that are already built into your phone and there are a plethora of many different apps that I'm starting to break into that help you do things more than just filters they help you adjust everything from the light and color to the depth that you see in your in your photos it takes a lot of time to play with and to learn and I'm very glad that I had a friend help coach me through a lot of that. Yeah. But it's well worth it every time. What are um what are a couple of the apps that you use? Um so right now I'm actually not using any apps. I've okay. like I said I've started trying to delve into them but oh, gotcha. because I've had such success with just the just the abilities of my phone itself, I haven't actually started putting any apps any photos that I've done through these apps out in the public yet. Gotcha. That was um Oh, I was, my daughter was a real photography buff when she was in college, not so much now, but I was posting some photos on Instagram, and she's like, Dad, your photos need work. You need to download these apps. And I was like, okay, what are these apps I need to download? And she never <laughs> yep. did tell me. I'm going I'm to see her tomorrow, so I'm going to ask her tomorrow about it. But that's, um, I've, you know, you see the commercials on TV for the iPhone and the apps and how well the pictures come mm-hmm. out of it. If I encourage it's a great phone for it. It is. It is. I just got a new six iPhone six the other day, so I'm gonna I'm anxious to try that out. And I'm gonna please I'm gonna tell the listeners please, you should really try it. Yeah, tell the listeners go to the follow the Tide House Grace Tide House on, on Facebook and you'll see some of these photos and I I was amazed myself that the photos are beautifully done. So Yeah. I mean check out Check out our Facebook. We also have an Instagram, and it's simply Grace Tide House on Instagram. And then if people are interested in learning more about what I do and some of the adventures that I have because I try and post things that aren't always just about the kitchen on my own, they can find me at a Madtown Chef Life. And I'm there on Instagram. And please follow, comment. Let me know your thoughts, if you like it, if you hate it, anything. <laughs> All of it helps me grow and helps me do a little bit more, little bit more with what I want to do in my life. 
Absolutely. And we're going to, um, that's one of the questions, my last question I'm going to ask you too is how we can get a hold of you. So we'll, if somebody missed those, um, we'll run through them again and I'm going to put them on the, the show notes as well. So yeah. we get that. Um, if anybody's interested in contacting me, you can find me at Madtown Chef Life on Instagram or contact me through the Grace Tide House Facebook or Instagram. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, we'll go. Th- we'll get those again too, just in case someone missed them. Absolutely. For sure. For sure. So, um, were you pr- primarily raised by your grandmother? Yes. Um, I my mom has instilled in me a very, a very strong need to work as hard as possible for all of my goals, and my mom worked very hard at raising me and a young and a younger brother, and. At some point, she needed a little extra help, so we went and stayed with my grandmother, and I stayed with my grandmother well until I was ready to go to high school as a young man and finally moved back in with my mom when I was starting high school and reaffirmed the great connection that me and my mom have all through high school, and it was great. So what, what was the best lesson your mother ever taught you? Work hard. Honestly, that's that's the best lesson I've ever gotten from my mom. Work hard, and if you want to do it, you can. It just takes a lot of hard work. And unfortunately, it gets miscommunicated sometimes that that hard work is going to show up really quickly. Right. Sometimes it takes 16 years of being in the same industry before you get your first your first big big push. And it was 15 years for me before I got my first sous chef position and 16 years before I got my first executive chef position. And that's a lot of hard work. That's a lot of time spent away from family, a lot of time spent in the kitchen. Uh, It's almost immeasurable right now, the the amount of hours that I've put put into a kitchen. It's not not easy, and I don't think that's spoken enough out there that if you really want – people are either jealous or badmouthed successful people, but they really don't understand how much work it takes to really grind it out day in and day out. A lot of sacrifice, mm-hmm. a lot of being intentional, a lot of doing the right things consistently, doing things over and over again. They will pay off. It just takes time. For sure. Absolutely. And a lot of doing the right thing when the right thing is not always the easiest thing to do. I mean, as, as cooks, we're, as chefs, we're emotional people, and sometimes it's really easy to flip out or to be frustrated about a situation as opposed to doing the right thing and serving a customer like you should. Right. I mean, customers, are, customers can be picky people sometimes, let's just be honest about it. And sometimes it's easier to complain about this, this particular customer or the way this particular customer wants something. And that's not always the best route to take, as we all know. Yeah, that's very true. Good words of wisdom there. Good words of wisdom. So what has become more important or less important in the last five years? And it doesn't have to relate uh, to food, but just as uh, in general. No, honestly, the, the things that have become more and less important in my life are honestly not food-related. Um, I actually met my wife about five, six years ago, and learning that, there needs to be something outside of the kitchen to make us a more to make me a more well-rounded person. It's probably one of the biggest lessons that I've learned. Um, I spent a very long time focusing on my career and being very dogged about learning and trying to perfect new skills that I found myself lacking in life outside of the kitchen. Oh, okay. I found myself talking more and more about what I was doing at work and less and less about the other aspects of my life. Mm. As much as I love my career, I'm a chef through and through. I'm also Greg Dorsey. I'm also the guy who enjoys music, who enjoys spending time with his dog, who enjoys hanging out with his wife. I mean, I I managed to somehow get lucky enough to find a wife within the crazy amount of hours that I spend in the kitchen, but... (laughs) finding that time for family and finding finding things outside of work 
to be a passion is probably one of the biggest things that I've learned in the last five years. Nice. Yeah. I, if I could tell, if I could tell anybody young in this industry anything, it's to make sure you balance. Oh, that's balance your work life. Balance, balance your outside life. Balance the things that you do to blow off steam. Balance the things that you do to stay focused. All of it. If there's ever anything that's going to lead to a long-lasting career, it's finding balance. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. And, sure. and it's a lifelong journey. It's not a, It's not an easy thing to find that balance, especially in our career, because it can it can overshadow so many other things in your life because of the amount of work we do, because of the hard the hard work we do, because of the crazy pace of things. Food can definitely take over your life in a not good way sometimes. Yeah, and I think uh, people, they get so consumed with it that that becomes their identity and they actually lose who they really are because all they do is work. Absolutely. That's, that's not healthy either. There's a, lot more, uh, no. there's a lot more going on around you that you really should take advantage of than spending all the hours behind a desk or in the, in the kitchen for instance. Absolutely. Like I said, finding, finding balance has been the, the hardest and the best thing that I've had to learn how to do in the last five years, and I'm still horrible at it. My <laughs> wife will still complain to everybody that I spend more time in a kitchen than I do at home, but over the last five years, I've definitely learned how to balance that out a little bit better. Well, that's good. Happy wife, happy life, as they say. Absolutely. For sure. Well, we're getting getting to the end, and I know your your time is precious, and it's your only day off, so you need to spend time with your wife if she's lucky enough to be there with you. So I want to wrap up with uh, a challenge question, and then we'll go through how to get in touch with you again. At, at Absolutely. The so a little challenge question. You receive a request to cater a dinner party for 25 guests with a budget of $500, roughly about 20 bucks each. The menu is to include two hors d'oeuvres, two main courses, and a dessert. Describe the menu you, you would create with this tight budget. Because it's a tight Ooh, budget. Yeah, two of everything. That is, that's, a, that's definitely so, a tight budget. So actually, it's 25 guests, and they have two hors d'oeuvres and two main courses to choose from. So you may get, um, you may only get one hors d'oeuvre, have to do one hors d'oeuvre, and everybody loves it, you know, or you may get a... That's absolutely true. So, um... Ooh, Twenty bucks a person. Yeah. Ooh, that's definitely a curveball. Um, honestly, I'd start. I'd start with something simple. So, the hors d'oeuvres, I'd do a nice simple salad. Um, some fresh, some fresh farm veggies because in that small amount, the vegetables would definitely be a cheaper aspect there. Right. And spend spend good time. I I'm a personal fan of some of the classics, so like a beautiful niçoise salad, lightly poached potatoes, soft-boiled eggs, a little bit of fresh fresh steamed fennel, and maybe maybe a little almond for crunch, oh, and a very, very light vinaigrette. Delicious salad. Yeah. Um, and then as another appetizer, honestly, I've I'm a huge fan, personally, of going out to a restaurant and getting a cheese platter. So a small cheese platter of a small amount of local local cheese mm-hmm. that wouldn't cost you very much at all. Nice. Excellent. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, and if I were, for an entree, if I were going to do a couple of entrees, well, first one, hands down, is probably one of my favorite things to make is gnocchi. And gnocchi is surprisingly a very inexpensive thing to make, but mm-hmm. it's a very easy thing to mess up if not done properly. So <laughs> it's definitely something that I enjoy. And then as far as another entree, I, I'm i a big fan of working with lower-end cuts of meats, like a flank steak. It's, okay. not, it's not one of the fancier fancier cuts of meat. Nope. One, it's inexpensive, and uh, if you do it nice and slow and treat it well, it can actually be one of the more flavorful cuts of meat. You just mm-hmm. have to know how to work with it. 
So I'd probably do something kind of like a, a bolognese, but with a little bit of flank steak in there. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. And then for dessert, I'm a simple pound cake guy. Pound cake? It's beautiful, very, very heavily citrus pound cake with some nice caramelized local apples, a little bit of cinnamon on top, maybe even if the budget allows at this point, make make some ice cream. Be delicious. Yeah. Very good. Sounds delicious. You passed the challenge question. Oh, well, that, that makes me happy. That was uh, <laughs> definitely a bit of a curveball. <laughs> so let's see how we can – I'm going to run through the, how we can get in touch with you again. i got Gray's Tide House, which is on Instagram. And, and course, Facebook. And Facebook. And Gray'sTideHouse.com for the restaurant. Absolutely. Yeah. And then anybody interested in contacting me directly can get get in touch with me through my own personal Instagram account, and it's called Madtown Chef Life. Okay. Perfect. And you're also let's mention the um, the Facebook community that you're that you're in. There were absolutely. It's Line Cooks, I think, is what it's called. Yep. Yeah. Uh, line Cooks, Chefs, and Food is a big, huge part of where we, where me and you got in touch with each other, yeah. and it's it's a great group on Facebook for everybody in invested in food in some aspect or another. And a big portion of it, I will admit, is us getting to blow off steam about random bad nights or random bad moments in the kitchen. But the other part of it too is asking for advice from from your peers. Yes. Crowdsourcing specials. There's a lot of guys who say, oh, well, I've got this and I need to use this. What can I do with it? Right. And it's a great, interesting way to crowdsurf, crowdsource ideas from across the country and across the world, potentially. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a great community. It's a lot of fun to cruise through there and see what, what guys like you are creating because of the great photos and the ideas and, and suggestions and stuff. It's, it's a really... it's. It's a fun community. I'm kind of glad I found it, and I'm glad I found you too, Greg. It's just, this yeah, is awesome. It was a it was a great conversation. I I enjoyed I enjoyed getting to have have a little bit of your time because as much as mine might be might be uh, precious, yours is obviously as as much so. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate that very much, and thank you very much. I am um, enjoy your day off today, which is a absolutely on a Thursday, and. I wish you much success at Grace Tide House, and I really appreciate you coming on the show. And have a great oh, day. Thank you very much, Mike. Thanks, Absolutely. Greg. Absolutely. Yep, bye-bye. bye-bye.